All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome in to episode two of season three of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. My name's Andrew Drozdak. I am one of your co-hosts. I am joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host. He just finished buying his new Baker Mayfield Carolina Panthers jersey, Thomas Bowen. Big Baker fan, I remember, Thomas. Oh, man, you're right about that. It was tough because, you know, I am definitely not a fan of the Panthers, and we won't go down that road and where my hatred began with that but gotta pull for baker gotta pull for baker i hear you and we are lucky enough to have a special guest this week we have jc Sherbert here with us jc how are you man hey it's great to be with you guys uh, always been a, a fan of your podcast and uh certainly uh all the knowledge that you bring to the table and, and share on various platforms and uh it's just good to be with you here one week before the season yeah, man, absolutely, absolutely. So, JC, we're gonna before we get into football stuff, I have something maybe slightly more important to talk about. You and I have something in common, and the fact that I believe, if I'm correct, we're both from Spartanburg, South Carolina. Is that right? Mm-hmm. God yeah. bless the Berg, man. <laughs> it, it lives in my heart forever. Yeah, I'm born and raised Spartanburg, South Carolina. I was born in uh, Spartanburg, Spartanburg Regional Medical Center, but it's uh, it was Spartanburg General Hospital when I was born. Uh, in the mid seventies, uh, grew up there, went to Burns high school, uh, went to actually went to Dorman for a little bit there toward the end. And Mm. my diploma actually says Dorman, believe it or not, but, uh, uh, enjoyed both schools. I claim Burns just because, uh, I went elementary school through high school in district five and, uh, you know, grew up out in Reedville, Duncan, Lyman, Welford, and, uh, you know, proud to be from Spartanburg, uh, probably, wouldn't have it any other way, right? Uh, haven't lived there in a long time. Uh, probably 1999 was the last time I lived in Spartanburg, yeah. but have lived in Greenville a few times. And uh, certainly uh, my whole family uh, still resides in the upstate of South Carolina. And I'm very, very proud uh, to be from the upstate and from the state of South Carolina. Yeah, man. Uh, same thing. I'm from Spartanburg. Uh, grew up on the east side. Went to Spartanburg High School. So I'm glad you claimed Burns instead of Dorman because it's just a better school. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, happy happy to have another guy from Spartanburg on. Thomas does is not from Spartanburg. He's from Lake City. He's got some family up in Spartanburg. Thomas, I think you got an important Spartanburg related question for JC, if I remember. You right. know, and yeah, when when Andrew started setting this up, and and I honestly did, didn't realize you were from up there. I, I feel like I. I know you at this point, JC. I've been a longtime consumer of your site and all of your content, a big fan of everything you do with the Big Spur over there. But so, and I've got some family, as Andrew alluded to, up in the upstate. And my biggest question for anybody from Spartanburg, as a, as a self-professed hot dog fiend, is who's got the best hot dog in Spartanburg? There's oh, some good ones up there. It's gonna. That's a tough question because Ricky's, uh, Ricky's, Ricky and and Sonny from Boots and Sonny's are my second, third cousins. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Of the Claytons. <laughs> they're my family. And so deciding between Ricky's and Boots and Sonny's, I don't, and I don't even know if Ricky's is still there or not. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think Boots and Sonny's is last time I was yeah. through town. Um, I'd have to go with Ricky's uh, just because 
uh, you know, they had a West side location and I, I was a West side guy. I wasn't a, a frat from Spartan high as the dormant. <laughs> uh, my, my, hey, my dad went to Spartan high though. And he let me know just how often, how superior Spartanburg high school was to, to everybody else. You know, and my, whole, my whole family went to Spartan high, but, uh, you know, we, we gravitated towards the West side, like a lot of people And Ricky's, I think had a spot out on Blackstock, so it was closer to our house. Uh, and so when we would go get hot dogs on a Saturday night or something, it would usually be Ricky's. But, but I mean, you cannot beat Boots and Sonny's or Ricky's hot dogs. I, I think that those, Definitely. To, to me, are probably the two best. If you're talking burgers, obviously Ike's comes into play. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, people from out of Spartanburg that haven't experienced the Beacon, obviously, need to do that at least once in their lives. So, um, yeah, uh, I would have, that's a tough, tough call for me. Uh, but uh, I, I would have to just give the slight edge to Ricky's at this point. Yeah, can't go wrong with any of those for sure. Mm-hmm. I, absolutely not. And I, I agree with you about Ike's and, you know, uh, the Beacon, you know, growing up, I knew the White family. Uh, John uh, B. White, who owned that restaurant, was a, a friend of my grandfather's and, and his grandson and I went to school together. A great, great friend of mine, Louis White. And so, you know, I, I love the Beacon as well. But man, sugar and spice is hard to beat. Going to the spice as an East Sider, a, a frat guy like myself being over on the East Side yeah. at, at, at Spice. Yeah, I t- my dad went to school with Lewis White Senior. Lewis, yeah. uh, oh, Lewis yeah. White Senior. So, yeah, lots of connections there between the Sherberts and and then you guys. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, it's yeah. uh, I like I guess it was before I was living in Nashville. I drove down, um, and unfortunately, this friend of mine passed away recently. But we 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 got in the habit back in '06 and '07 of going to a lot of games together, uh, just because my my wife at the time couldn't go because she worked weekends. So I'd come down and. Uh, I remember one night before the Georgia game in 06, that game did not work out too well for the Gamecocks, but I went to Spartanburg and stayed with him, and we went to Sugar and Spice. That's probably the last time I've been there, but uh, certainly was delicious, and um, gosh, y'all are making me hungry now, and next time I'm I'm definitely going to hit that up. Yeah. All right, let's get let's get into some football. That's enough Spartanburg. That'd be a whole another podcast. We'll yeah, we, we can do, uh, do a series on that town. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so – uh, JC, just for anybody who, who might not know you, um, you know, if they're listening to our podcast, I would say there's a really good chance they do. Just real brief, how did your Gamecock fandom get started? Are you born into it like Thomas and me, or did you did you come about it another way? Nah, I was born into it. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my dad, uh, for some reason, he was a Carolina guy, and I don't know how it came about. He played he played football for Spartanburg High School and. Uh, I don't know how he didn't gravitate more towards Clemson because like, like my family or, you know, other than him on the Sherbert side, they, they were either, you know, neutral or, and then some of them are Clemson, you know, um, right. the, the Walker end of the Sherbert family is, is all Clemson. Uh, most of them, I think one went to Carolina, but anyway, uh, he just always liked Carolina uh, and uh, he got a helmet uh, and it was when South Carolina, early 80s, South Carolina was wearing a white helmet when George Rogers was playing. Uh, and it was a lamp, a lamp helmet. Uh, it sat it next to my bed. And I just always liked it. Of course, I didn't really know a whole bunch about the game. I, I learned at an early age kind of how to play baseball and the rules of that game. And, of course, basketball is not an overly complex game either. Football, until I was about 9 or 10, it was a little bit – I mean, I guess if I'd have sat down, I was a smart kid. I guess if I'd have sat down and learned it, I would have. But I just, I, one day it clicked, and I was like, wow, 
you know, this is this is the best game on earth. And, uh, and <laughs> I consumed everything I could about it. And I was a Gamecock fan. And uh, we, uh, 86 was the first season I really followed it. And of course, there, there were very few games on TV. Uh, you had to listen to Bob Fulton call the games. That was a, a gut-wrenching, soul-crushing season. Um, and, you know, I, I was uh, around for all 73 of Todd Ellis's interceptions uh, during his career. Uh, you know, went uh, all the way, you know, through Sparky, Brad, the death of Joe Moe, Lou Holtz, uh, and, and, and all that. And, of course, my dad passed away in 1995. And, it was kind of funny because he used to tell me that the only coach that could turn Carolina around was Lou Holtz. And <laughs> sure enough, four years later, here comes well. Lou Holtz. So I was, imagine I was sky high and then <laughs> you had the great turnaround with that. And then I, I, just when you didn't think it would get any better, uh, Steve Spurrier takes the job. And it's like, That's wow, right. you know. Um, and, 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 and I uh, I majored, a double major in journalism and in, in theater communications. Uh, actually, I actually have a degree from USC Upstate. I did go to Carolina for a couple of years. Probably should have gone to class a little more and then ended up uh, getting getting married and getting my degree from Upstate. Um, and, uh, you know, started out in the newspaper business, uh, was the sports editor of the Gainesville Times in Georgia. And in 04, I got a call from Rivals.com. And I kind of felt at the time that newspapers were kind of going the way of the dodo bird in terms of sports because sports is so instantaneous. No one wants to wait. Uh, and so I'd get on the message boards like Rusty the Rooster and then Gamecock Central, uh, you know, when Tony was going by Universal at the time and uh, Plano's Page 3 and Sports Talk oh, SC, man. all yeah. that stuff back in the day, man. I, I was kind of a hellraiser on those sites, too. I, I probably wasn't known <laughs> as a very good poster. Uh, so I went to Rivals and, uh, and sort of just worked my way up in the business and in 07. Um, I had uh, ESPN called, and at the time in in the South Carolina market, there was only Gamecock Central. You know, the other sites had sort of fallen by the wayside. ESPN was allegedly getting into the uh, team site business. We found out later it wasn't uh, all it was cracked up to be, but we started the Big Spur. Uh, Keith Alsep and I, and and Keith ended up going to Texas to get married. So I had a couple of series of partners before Tony came over. Uh, And then in 2010, uh, we joined the 24-7 Sports Network and uh, have been there for, for 12 years. Uh, and it's been a great 12 years through the CBS acquisition. Um, I think that subscription-wise, we're close at least, maybe even a little ahead of our primary competitors in this market. And uh, it's been a slog, man. It's been 15 years worth of very hard work to get it going. But I, I couldn't be more pleased to, to interact on the, on the boards every day with, with my people. You know, and, and to do what I do, I, I feel like I really have a, a dream job now uh, with um, with what I do with the Big Spur. So I'm I'm, I'm very pleased with that. That's, JC, yeah, you know, yeah, I, um, I I, I want to jump in on that and, and say that y'all really do do a, a fantastic job there. And I've been a, a subscriber for a long time. Y'all put out great content, and so really appreciate everything y'all have done there. And it's kind of funny to hear you give some of that lineage and former Hellraiser. Now you've got to lock threads and police things on there. So I'm sure that was a little bit of a, a change of pace for you. Yeah. It's like my mom used to say, you know, well, you wait till you get older. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's like that. Cause uh, it, having a message where like it is, I, I don't want to compare it to parenthood because that's, you know, it's a little too sacred for me to do that, but it is, it, it's something you have to watch all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, even now I'm 45 years old. 
we have five households that make full-time salaries off this site now, which I'm very proud of, by the way. Uh, people sure. are building houses, having babies, getting married. I'm happy that I could create something that could provide that, right? But man, I'm 45 years old. I got people that work for me. Uh, it's Saturday night. I'm grilling a pork chop. And I and one of my <laughs> friends had a post deleted and was all red-assed about it. And like, I get a text <laughs> at home on a Saturday night. And I'm like, I'll follow up on Monday. I'll follow up on Monday. I'm like, I just can't do it. But it is something that, especially early on, guys, I, oh, man, I, I was in front of the computer all day long. And um, not so much now, but I still spend a lot of time on it. But it, it is something that, you know, I, I regret being a jerk on those sites before. I, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, the chickens are coming home to roost, no pun intended, right? For sure. That's right, well. Well, that's what's funny because, you know, Thomas and I are, we're both subscribers and, and, you know, we'll text back and forth all through the game. And, and, you know, if it's a bad night, if it's a bad game, inevitably one of us will say something to the effect of, man, I wouldn't want to be a mod right now. Like, I wouldn't. <laughs> it's a dumpster fire on the big spur right now. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, I, I, Unfortunately, because you know, I, 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 my whole thing is kind of pregame and stuff. I don't, I don't do a lot of game coverage, and uh, right. I think I would go crazy if I had to. And yeah. God bless the guys that do that for our site. But uh, I like to kick back and enjoy college football like anybody, like the whole weekend. Um, and so, <laughs> I, I really have to like not get on the site. Uh, oh yeah, w- win or lose, really. Even if it's like a like the Vandy game last year. I, I really have to be careful of that, and uh, I've, I've tried to, as I've gotten older, not, and, and I'm not always successful with this, stay off Twitter, things like that, just because right. it's not going to solve anything. I think uh, I, I do appreciate the fact that people vent on the message board and, and that they're passionate and that they care, um, and I'm glad we can provide that outlet, but it does get tricky because it, they will – they will not only, you know, turn on the team and the coaches and the players, they turn on us too. (laughs) Uh, It's like, Oh, well you didn't say they were going to lose by 50. I didn't say they're going to win either. You know, it's kind of like that. I hear you. So um, before we get into real, you know, like direct football team stuff, let's talk about how the changing landscape and of college football with NIL, which brings us, to, to Carolina Rise and something that you're a part of, which is, you know, getting in on that. And it, it changed it changed the game for sure. Changed the game for everybody. And, man, you see all kinds of Wild Wild West type stuff going on. Tell us about your experience with Carolina Rise, how you got into that, and, and what it's been like so far. It's not as Wild Wild West as people think. Um, gotcha. it, 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 it's concerning. Uh, as far as, you know, some of the things you're told and all that, but it's not, uh, you know, I think everybody was worried that, you know, Tennessee was going to have a $35 million payroll and, you know, <laughs> never, nobody's in Texas A&M and Miami and, and nobody was ever going to get a player. And that's just not how football works. There's, you know, cause, cause, cause the question all ultimately becomes, uh, if you're going to pay, you better pay the right ones. And even the NFL bats only, you know, 600. Uh, with first round picks and they're investing millions. Uh, it's an in football, uh, unlike any other sports at inexact science, it, you know, and I, I did all the evaluation stuff. I did the rankings for years. You know, I was proud of some of them. Some of them, I'm like, I don't even know what happened. Some of them I won't buy, but uh, 
it's it's a very hard game to evaluate, even when you have the resources like the National Football League. Uh, so the question becomes: if you're if you're, you're a college and you got the payroll, who do you pay? You know, right. um, and you can go off the prospect rankings if you'd like. And statistically, you're probably going to bat 600. You know, and so 40 percent is wasted money, and and so. What you're, what I'm finding is um, the schools that have the big NIL deals have have pulled back a little bit in terms of, you know, just going out and paying everybody in a class or uh, something like that. Uh, and I think you know, as far as you know, the rest of college football, which we're, you're only talking about three programs that that actually blatantly do it. You know, there's plenty of players to go around. Alabama. Alabama and South Carolina actually kind of have the exact same NIL approach. Uh, in other words, they're not out there guaranteeing money. They're saying, here's what we have set up for you. Uh, here's what you can do if you come here. Here's what, you know, you can make NIL-wise. Uh, South Carolina is actually working towards some internal valuation um, partnerships where they go uh, with a marketing uh, firm that uh, – you know, actually has marketing connections and they tell the guys what they're worth and what they can get and all that. And that's good. And Carolina Rice certainly uh, is a part of providing uh, NIL funds for uh, certain promotional opportunities as well. And, and we all kind of work together, which I think is pretty awesome. But, uh, you know, it, 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 I think Carolina's uh, method is smart. Uh, and, and you look at the recruiting that South Carolina's doing now and, yeah, it, it, it may be the 15th ranked uh, class in the country, uh, but very, very little difference between Tennessee and South Carolina in recruiting right now. Uh, the difference is they have a five-star quarterback that in the formula counts a lot more, right? Um, and South Carolina does not have a five-star. And that's it. That's one player, guys. Uh, and so I uh, – football has been, uh, I think, manageable. I, I think basketball is not. <laughs> basketball. <laughs> Basketball, and we have, and we have Gigi Jackson's one of our clients, right? So uh, it was our first guy we announced, actually, which was huge. But I'm telling you right now, those NIL deals in that sport, uh, number one, I think that there's justification for it because you're talking about a lottery pick in, what, a calendar year? Um, right. There's a, there's a lot of value for those guys to promote things, right, because uh, they're going to be big time. Um, and, and basketball is more of a sure thing. Uh, and then the transfer portal in basketball, uh, unlike other sports, is all about NIL. I mean, it's a, almost 100%. And so it gets very dicey in that sport. The good news is there, there's only 13 guys on the roster. Uh, the bad news is it, it, it is, you know, you, you almost need a, a gigantic collective like Tennessee has. And I, and I do think they spread the love to hoops up there in Rocky Top to really – you know, go out and, and do something special like a Fab Five kind of deal or something like that. So basketball's tough. I love working with baseball because those guys are just like looking to get their full scholarship. You know, <laughs> right. you know there's only only eleven point seven scholarships, so it's like, ah, okay, well, I can do this NIL thing and and, and be a little more comfortable and uh, you know not have to pay so much out of pocket for school and, and things of that nature. So that's that's more of kind of a a money ball type of situation. Uh, and then in baseball too, we, we signed Roman Kimball, um, the transfer pitcher from Notre Dame. Uh, that's a lot of value for us because he's kind of got a creative streak. 
Uh, he does YouTube videos, uh, Instagram reels, uh, stuff that, you know, our business partners with Carolina Rise and our affiliated brands can really use. And so, you know, we're going to get a lot of value out of Kimball. And, and there's a lot of things like that in baseball um, that are really interesting and stuff. So, you know, I've, I've been pretty pleased with it. Uh, we, we, we need more money. I mean, there, there's no question about that. I think we've done a lot with a little so far. Uh, but I think as the Gamecock Nation ends up seeing more and more results from this, uh, I, I think they'll step up. Um, you know, even, even the people that give $18 a month or $10 a month or whatever, uh, it all helps. It, it's all small dollar crowdsource kind of deals. There's power numbers. Uh, and I'm, I'm very excited about the future uh, of Carolina Rise. And uh, I, I'll say this, uh, this is not a, a for-profit venture uh, for my brother or myself. We're taking no money. <laughs> We're doing it because we want to help the University of South Carolina. And uh, outside of some, some limited expenses for magnets or, or koozies or whatever, uh, postage is really killing us right now, right? Uh, but uh, it, 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 you know, all the money goes to NIL deals for South Carolina. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited. I just got off a phone call about Carolina Rise uh, just now. It's very exciting. So uh, I wanted to make that clear because some people are very skeptical. They're like, oh, how much are you making off of it? Well, none of it. Now, if it, if it gets out of control, you know, you're never going to see me in a private jet in an orange blazer like those Tennessee guys do. Uh, you know, like, like he's Jerry Maguire, you know. Uh, I'm never, I'm never going to do that. But uh, you know, if there ever comes a day where you just can't handle the workload, um, you know, there may be some sort of worker or something that works. But uh, right now, we're just really pleased that we can help South Carolina uh, in this new space. Absolutely, a hundred percent. And and I mean, that's you know, like you said, it's a it's a crowdsource type situation. You know, depending on what you want to do, what you can give, you know, that's that's a good help. And, you know, I, I think it's all about helping the University of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So with all of that in mind, let, let's talk a little recruiting. You know, Coach Beamer and staff have really been on a hot streak the past couple, I guess, weeks, uh, you know, and really before that, but have really done a lot. So, you know, we're not that far removed from, you know, let's just call it what it is, what looked like a train wreck when it was the end of the must champ era. Like, I, I mean, you know, I'm not, t- I don't know anything about the inner workings. I'm just saying from a fan perspective, things didn't look so great. So as a, as, as a recruit, I can't think that's a real appealing situation to want to go in. Well, now, you know, coach, coach Beamer comes in, he, you know, we see a great things, had a very good season. And now this recruiting class seems to really be coming together from your knowledge, JC, and, and your knowledge in general, what, what's Carolina, got right now going for him other than just a great culture or what is it i think i think it's the best roster since 2013 and um you know the 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 issue with the end of the must champ era is is the beginning of the must champ era okay so yeah this was the a difficult hire to sell okay everybody says ray tanner took the easy way out no this was a not a easy decision to make because if you're taking the easy way out, uh, you're probably just going and hiring Willie Taggart, who, who was what 11 and something and calling it a day. And of course that would have been a catastrophe. Um, you know, he, everybody thinks must yet was a disaster. Taggart would have been 10 times. Look at, look at what happened to Florida State. I was about to say, look at Florida State. But Taggart, what didn't, didn't get fired at Florida. So, 
Um, and and the needs of the, the needs of the program change. You know, when you when you have an opening, and Carolina needed a recruiter um, to get in there because man. Remember the last Spurrier staff said, man, we only have, tw- they, in 2015, he said, we only have 21 guys on our roster that can play in the SEC. Uh, when Muschamp got there, 27 guys left. Only two of them ever played football again. <laughs> I mean, they wow. didn't go D2. They didn't go FCS. They just didn't play anymore, man. Uh, wow. So, so that there was an issue there, and, and I thought he did a good job, um, you know, that first year, the second year. Uh, third year had some injuries and there were some red flags, obviously, but, uh, you know, he recruited pretty well. He filled some holes. There's some good young players, but what he could not afford to do was have a disastrous fourth year. Uh, and I said that before that season, I'm like, nobody's, you know, unless you are a super popular hire, you can't survive going four and eight year four. Um, and he wasn't. And so he goes four and eight. Uh, that was awful. Uh, that was worse than the two and eight the next year, in my opinion. Um, still, uh, Ray kept him. Now, at the time, uh, I could have made a strong case to make a move, but looking back on it, and and I'm not giving Tanner credit for this or anything because nobody knew what was going to happen in 2020. Nobody knew there was going to be a global pandemic. Nobody knew there was going to be all that uprising and stuff that summer. Um, you know, but, but but what happened, the, the reason it was kind of a blessing in disguise uh, keeping him was, number one, he, he ended up signing a pretty good class in 2020 uh, with a lot of guys that are going to play a lot of ball for, for Beamer this year at a high level. Um, you're talking about Lloyd coming into that class, Boogie Huntley, Mo Caba, Taka Hemingway, Jaheen Bell was in that class, Tyshawn Wanamaker was in that class, uh, Vershawn Lee was in that class, he's a starter. Uh, Rashad Amos was a good pickup. Kai Kroger and Mitch Jeter, the kickers. Um, if Muschamp leaves and there's a change, even if they had brought Shane in, I'm not sure that those guys stick. In fact, I don't think Birch and Huntley stick at all. Uh, I think it's kind of a transitional class. And, and then, you know, even if it, if it, it, it may not even been Beamer, we may, may have been sitting there with Scott Satterfield from Louisville. Uh, is he going to be able to keep that roster intact or, uh, during COVID when everybody's opting out? And, you know, you, you talked to Lane Kiffin about his first year at Ole Miss, and that was 2020, and yeah, he had no idea who his players were, you know. And so I thought Will Muschamp did an admirable job keeping the team together, keeping the roster intact, getting that class in. Uh, and then the bottom just fell out on defense in 2020, and you know, I think it was pretty much known that he had to win or he was gone and, and that he was gone. And, you know, he left Beamer, a roster with holes that needed to be patched, but he left some good players. Uh, you know, it wasn't like the end of the Spurrier era where you had uh, multiple holes to fill. Like, if we remember the 2016 team, how many freshmen started on offense, true freshmen started on offense that year? Uh, it's not like that. Um, right now. And, uh, even like when Spurrier came in, he, he got, he inherited some good players from Holtz, right? But there are a lot of, uh, characters, I guess, <laughs> on the roster. <laughs> uh, and if you, and if you look at the academic performance and, you know, the character of these guys that, that were left over, you know, they're all pretty good citizens and good guys, right? Um, you don't have any of the headaches and that's allowed Beamer to come in and establish an uplifting culture, which was needed. 
um, and, and the guys Muschamp left behind along with the newcomers uh, have all have bought in uh, for the most part. The guys that didn't buy in, they left right away. Uh, you know, they were probably never going to buy in like guys like Jamie Robinson and yeah. And, you know, even JC Horn and Izzy McWamu who left early and quit in 2020 uh, have come back and are in good graces with the current staff and have embraced the team and Beamer and the program and all that. So, um, I kind of describe Muschamp as a necessary evil, and, and I hate to say the word evil because he's not an evil guy, but uh, he, you know, sometimes bad things serve a purpose, and and I think all of that sort of served a purpose uh, to put Beamer ahead in his second year. If it weren't for the COVID redshirt, the transfer portal, all that, you know, you may be looking at a linear rebuild like well, year three before they can compete. Well, now, shoot, they could they could win a lot of games this year, so. Uh, I know that's kind of a long state of the union, state of the Gamecocks thing. Uh, I, I haven't like said it. That, I haven't said that on any other podcast, so <laughs> I think that's good for this episode. But uh, sorry for being <laughs> long-winded there. But that's that's yeah. kind of like where we were to where we're at right now and um, in terms of the Gamecocks and, and the current state of the program. No, I, I think that encapsulates it a lot. And, I'm you know, so many things, you are right, like have to happen in, in a certain order. You know, even even Lou Holtz, when he came in, if we don't get Lou Holtz and, and, you know, he doesn't turn it around and even, you know, towards the end, of course, you know, it it didn't go very well at the end of those teams. If we don't get Lou Holtz, we don't ever get Steve Spurrier. That's that's never that's never a possibility. So, you know, as much as Coach Holtz did and, you know, people sometimes forget and, you know, there were warts, of course, and the end didn't things rarely end well. I mean, you know, when, when you talk about high school or excuse me, college coaches or pro coaches or high school coaches, when you leave, you rarely leave at the top. You rarely leave because, hey, I'm at the top. I've done all I can do and I'm out, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and so that that's going to be the nature of the thing. So before we jump into uh, some some team stuff, in your opinion, what does Carolina need to do other than win? Obviously, win helps. What do we got? to? What is the this staff and this program got to do? You know, you've got promise. You've got commitments for 2023. How do you keep them on board? And I know winning's the obvious answer, but what what else is there? I guess is the question. Well, these days, you know, Carolina. I don't know that anybody. Well, Jaden Robinson, I guess, flipped to Florida, but that that's one of those things where uh, if you're in Lake City, Florida, and you get an offer from the Florida Gators, you are likely going to go to Florida. Unless you're Laramie Tunzel, and I think we all know what happened there. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think that obviously having a good season, uh, not having uh, toxicity and negativity creep in. Um, you know, I think the atmosphere at Williams Bryce is always something I think uh, people underrate uh, in terms of recruiting. I think that sometimes, you know, fans you know, emptying out in the middle of a win or a loss. Uh, people don't really realize, and I'm not asking anybody to sit in the sun during a blowout. Don't get me wrong. But uh, uh, I, I think that having a good atmosphere at Williams-Brice this year is important. Um, kids having fun when they come on their visit. Uh, and just continuing the, the positivity and, and the culture. And I, I think, obviously, NIL is, is very important, um, you know, and, and – I'm hopeful that it doesn't become too important, right? I, you know, you got to build this thing a little bit, but uh, you know, I, I, I think that right now when you, when you look at the relationships, these guys on the coaching staff have built 
with the, these recruits, it's going to be awfully difficult for uh, one to flip. Now, at the same time, I'll say this, you know, when you stop winning, that affects comfort level. And comfort level is what all decisions are based on. South Carolina does have a lot of guys that aren't, you know, they have a lot of good in-state players, right? Uh, but they've got a lot of guys from kind of far away. Um, and the mm-hmm. further away these guys are, you know, the, 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 the less likely you are to kind of uh, keep them in the fold when thing, when the bottom falls out. So uh, that's a long answer to say, just don't let the bottom fall out this year. Uh, and I think, uh, and by that, I mean, losing season regression, mm-hmm. win loss wise, that kind of thing. Uh, they'll let the bottom fall out. And I think, uh, I think they'll be fine with this 2023 class. And then, uh, 2024 setting up to be awfully good as well. Well, and we'll get into some season expectations next, but I will say one of the things I, as a fan, look at that I see being smart, being good, is the fact that we are going kind of far out. We've started to put a, a stake in the ground in that Maryland, D.C. area, uh, and, and, you know, among other places. And I know Coach Limbo is a, a big part of that, but you know, South Carolina, I, I played South Carolina high school football. Thomas did as well. I love South Carolina high school football. I'll put it up against any state's, uh, you know, player ability, but it is small. The state of South Carolina is not that big. It's not Florida. It's not Texas. It's not California. So you've got to go elsewhere because you can't always count. You know, when you look at Steve Spurrier's era, one of the things that helped, we had some great high school football players at that time that he was then, to his credit and to his staff's credit, Jadavion Clowney, I was coaching high school football when Jadavion Clowney was playing high school football, and we were going to play them in the second round of the playoffs. And our head coach looked at me and the other OL coach and said, what are we going to do about seven if we make it to him next week? I said, pray. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's going to hurt somebody. Yeah, yeah, boy, he was a special. I, re- I remember watching, um, gosh, it was South Point. They were playing Myrtle Beach and Everett Golson in the state championship. Oh, yeah. it, was a Cle- it was a Clemson, actually. Uh, and that was Gilmore and Holloman's team. And yeah. uh, I-, I remember uh, Golson dropped back to pass, and uh, all of a sudden this streak comes from the-, the right side of the line from, like, boom, and knocks out. I'm like, who in the heck is that? And I looked, and it was a uh, – it was just Devion Clowney. He was like 6'4", 196 that year as a sophomore. <laughs> and, uh, and so I ask around about him, and they're like, oh, God. They're like, South Carolina's already all over him and uh, all that good stuff. The, the, the issue, I, I think, you know, from kind of the time I got into covering, like, national recruiting in 05, 06-ish to, to now, the numbers have gone down in the state. Uh, as, t- as far as like known blue chip talent, uh, at the same time, uh, I think there are more sleepers that come out of the state. Now, I just I don't know that the state is, and this may help South Carolina, um, because when you have a, a, a program like Clemson within the state, there, there's that stigma. If they don't offer a kid, maybe they're not that good, which is which is not true, and it's been proven to not be true many many times. There's countless examples, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, you know, that's, that's probably why there's not a lot of four stars and all that. Clemson just doesn't work the state like they once did. Um, and so you kind of have a vacuum. But, um, you know, I, I still, even with that, uh, do believe the numbers are down. And I don't – I can't put my finger on it. I don't know why. I don't know if there's something that about off-season practices. Maybe less kids are playing football. Maybe they're out there and nobody knows. I don't know. 
but there's less than there used to be. Um, and so that's problematic. So you have to go uh, elsewhere. Now, I think this staff has continued to recruit well in Georgia. Uh, I thought the last staff did a good job of turning that thing around. South Carolina under Spurrier took a lot of guys out of Georgia that couldn't play dead in the movie. Um, and, and you could get into trouble over there with that because there's a lot of like false offer lists and, you know, Atlanta has a lot of guys that really can't, you know, aren't all that good. Uh, the Muschamps have narrowed it down. So they got a J.C. Horn, a, a J.J. Enigbore out of that state, a Jamie Robinson, uh, those guys, even to this day, uh, good players. Um, and, and this staff has continued to do great work in Georgia. Uh, they've also gone back into Florida, which I think the Muschamp staff did not do a good job of doing. Uh, very few guys out of Florida, and Florida's always been good to Carolina. Uh, the issue right now is North Carolina because uh, right now UNC and Mac Brown, they're kind of got a corner market in the state, so to speak. Uh, NC State's up right now based largely on in-state talent. Uh, and then some of the other kids just want to go up in North Carolina. They, if, if it's not a blue blood, they're not interested. And South Carolina's not quite back there yet. So, so where do you go? Well, you could skip over North Carolina and go up to D.C. And, and those kids are a lot more open, you know. Um, you're up there battling Penn State, Ohio State, uh, Virginia Tech in a lot of instances. But, you know, those kids are, are way more open to coming to the SEC, uh, and coming right down I-95 and, and playing for the Gamecocks than, than the kids in North Carolina right now. That's just that's just kind of how it is. And I appreciate the fact that instead of, like, beating your head against the wall or, or, or going trying to take reaches out of Georgia or Florida, um, you know, this staff says, okay, well, where can we go get more blue chippers? And they just, you know, hop right over North Carolina and go north. And uh, I think it's brilliant. I've always thought that the, the Gamecocks should be doing that, uh, and now they are, and – uh, boy, uh, this this class from the D.C. area could be uh, really, really good uh, when all is said and done. Awesome. Yeah, I agree with you there. All right, so we're going to jump in to a little game uh, that we've never played on the show, but we're going to play it today. It's going. Right. It's uh, grade my take, all right? So I'm going to give you old guys three offensive takes, and Thomas and J.C., you're going to tell me, is my take an overreaction, an appropriate reaction, or maybe even an underreaction? All right, and it's going to be related to players. So I'll give you on this one, I'm going to give you a little bit of history before I tell you my take. Currently, Dylan Thompson holds the record for the most passing yards in a season at South Carolina at 3,564 yards. And Steve Tanninghill holds the record for most touchdown passes in a season at 29. Here's my take. Spencer Radler will break both those records this year. JC, we'll start with you. Overreaction, appropriate reaction, underreaction. He breaks the record, the yardage record. Yardage I I, and touchdowns. I'm on yardage. I'm going to go over because I don't. I don't think he quite gets there. Uh, on okay. touchdowns, I'm going to go. Uh, yeah, I think you're spot on. I, I think he does, and I, and I think it, there's a. If you kind of watch how Marcus Satterfield called a game last year, he loves throwing passes in the red zone. Um, I don't know that that's always – as long as the quarterback's throwing them, I don't mind, right? Uh, exactly, but, uh, exactly. But but I think Rattler, with the tight ends they have, uh, sort of with the scheme and all that, I think Rattler's going to get a lot of – I don't want to say cheap touchdowns, but a lot of opportunities to to rack up that, uh, that touchdown total this year. And it's really not 
I mean, I, I was surprised to see that nobody's ever thrown for 30 or more touchdowns in a season here. So um, I, I think that's definitely doable. All right, Bowen, what's yeah. your take? Yeah, and I got I got a I got a piggyback on that, and I, I promise JC and I didn't discuss this before. Um, but I, I think you're spot on with that. And one of the reasons that I don't think he's going to surpass that 35, 64 passing yards is the depth that we have in the backfield right now with the running backs. Assuming they can stay healthy, uh, assuming uh, Marshawn Lloyd can go and can go consistently, I just think that running game is going to be stronger. So we're not going to have to pass as much as we will. And like you mentioned, JC, a lot of those short red zone passes so i just uh, i i don't think it's going to hit that but i do think you're right on the money i think he could break the touchdown record because you look at you know behind those 29 of taney hill you've got uh shaw at 24 thompson was at 26 i think so yeah i i think i think he could take that one for sure yeah i think jake jake bentley i think at 27 and, oh and in akron i think so uh, and then that Acker game happened, and I think he he wanted that record to sort of press a little bit. <laughs> the, the the belt bowl happened, and it was a. I kind of thought Jake was going to get there, and he didn't. But uh, yeah, you know, so who knows? But that uh, uh, I think I don't have it in front of me. I may be wrong, but yeah, that, that's that's surprising that nobody's ever thrown for thirty. And I I definitely think, like you said, with the scheme and all that, it's attainable. And, and I think. Scheme factors in, guys, uh, in the other part of it, too, because, it, you know, you look at, like, the North Carolina game last year in the bowl game. Once Carolina – and even most of the games they won, uh, once Carolina kind of figured out they were running the ball pretty pretty much at will um, and, and, and establishing it and, and, like, they couldn't stop Kevin Harris or Zaquandre Wright or whoever, they went heavy ground. Uh, you yeah. Know, I think that's, Auburn game. That's always – yeah, it's a winning recipe to run the football if you can do it, and then obviously that's going to take away uh, from your passing attempts and, and and thus your yardage. But uh, so who knows, man? Hey, I hope he, I hope he does break it. I hope he does. I just just for those reasons, I would uh, I would say I'm skeptical about the yardage, but I think the touchdown is definitely in play. I agree with you to an extent. The reason I think it's going to happen is is. One, you did talk about a run-first offense, which I agree we're going to be. But when you look at this play-action style, we're going to be running a lot of wide-zone play-action. It sets itself up for big shots. It sets mm-hmm. itself up for big shots. If we connect on those, you know, and you have the horses, in my opinion, now um, to be able to do that, and especially with the Swiss Army knife like Jaheim Bell, which we'll get into here next. But that is, you know, that's where I come from. He has to average about about 300 yards passing to break that, um, you know, just a share under it. So that that is a high number, especially when you are especially when you're a run first team. So I, I but we'll see what happens. Uh, I, we'll say this. If both those things happen, it's going to be a heck of a good season for the Gamecocks. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, um, and I, 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 I do think that, too. And I, I I do know this about Marcus Satterfield. Don't be. um fooled by the spring game and the dink and duck. There's a reason they're working on short game, quick game. Um, it, it, it's, you know, you're going to have issues uh, blocking some of the fronts you play. That's a good way to back them off. But make no mistake, they're going to go downtown. And, and the better they can run it and the better they can hit those short passes, the more opportunities they'll have to do it. And they've got the guys to do it this year. So, yeah, from a yardage standpoint, that could, that could add up pretty quickly, my friend. Yeah. All right. So moving on to my next take, Jaheim Bell, I just mentioned him. So talked about him being a Swiss Army knife. He's going to 
be a guy who is going to run the ball and going to catch the ball. So I'm I, my take is Jaheem's going to have over a thousand yards this season of total offense. So that's running and receiving, and who knows, we may even have him throw a pass or two. So thousand uh, yards of total offense for Jaheem Bell. JC over overreaction underreaction. What you got? I think it's right in the middle. Uh, I think you're spot on. I think he will have over a thousand yards uh, as long as he's healthy, and I expect him to be. Um, I, I think that bowl game wise, and it's it, it spurts last year. It's, it's almost like Jaheim started really, really well, and then finished really, really well. And then kind of the middle, he sort of went into the abyss a little bit. Uh, but I think he knows that he's gr- he's a great player, and I, and I think having that confidence. Because keep in mind, he's another one of those guys that had an ACL injury, uh, came in in 2020 during the pandemic, uh, that kind of thing. Um, a lot like Mo Kaba in, in that regard. Um, but I think he's ready to rock and roll now, and just kind of the plan for him uh, will lend itself to, to, to for, for him to touch it uh, enough to get over 1,000. I, I think that uh, I think that's definitely doable. Yeah, and I All think right. uh, I, I think you're you're spot on with that. Another year in the system, comfortability there, having that established quarterback that you you, you know your system, you know your unit, um, and I think again, also like you mentioned, that confidence going into this year. I think Jaheim Bell saw as last year ended, he saw what he can be to this team and what he can be to this offense, and I think he thinks rightfully so that he can make himself a lot of money because I think Jaheim Bell is a will have a long and successful career in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think so too. And and you know, another former Gamecock right there in Spartanburg County, Debo Samuel, I think you know, is set the stage for guys like Jaheim, uh, that can do a lot of different things. And uh, you know, the first guy that's really like that was Jalen Samuels, who played for uh NC State a few years ago. But uh Debo sort of took it to the next level with the 49ers <laughs> last year. And um and while Jaheim is not a clone of Debo. They do different things well. Uh, I definitely think the NFL is highly interested in guys like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. My last take this one, uh, this one I feel is a, a moderate take, but it's once you hear it, I think it's reasonable, but Hey, we'll hear y'all's thoughts. Uh, you mentioned Marshawn Lloyd, you know, t- a top recruit coming in, obviously major knee injury that first spring. I've got him at rushing for over 800 yards and scoring more than seven touchdowns this season. What are your thoughts there? I'm getting, I'm getting behind that one. Uh, I, I like it. Uh, I, I have a lot of faith in him. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I can objectively say I think he's really, really good. Uh, but per, I'm pulling for him because he's such a great kid um, and he's been through so much. And, you know, the better he does, we, we talk about recruiting D.C., Maryland, Delaware, all that. The better Marshawn Lloyd does at South Carolina, uh, the, the better your chances to go up there and get more players. It's like when C.J. Spiller was at Clemson. All of a sudden he went to Clemson, he had a great career and all and that, you know, all of a sudden – all the guy Clemson could go get five star players out of Florida all of a sudden because because Spiller kind of set the tone. It's important for South Carolina that Lloyd has a good good career. I think he's got the skill set. Um, Eight hundred, given the depth at running back, I think is a reasonable uh, number. And if he can get to that, you know, I, I think the Gamecocks have a shot to have a really good season. And I'm right there with you. 
Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on with that too. Uh, and uh, I think you speak for a lot of Gamecock fans too that really want to see Lloyd succeed. And um, you know, I, I, I'm I'm in the same camp as that too. I, I I worry. I think I'm just cautiously optimistic. I do think it is a good thing. Obviously, we've got so much depth there at running back, so he's not going to have to carry it 35, 40 times a game. And so I think that will go a long way for him. And so, yeah, I think you're spot on with that one, Andrew. All right. All right. All right. We're going to switch gears to defense. Thomas is going to give us some takes he's got about our defense and JC will give us his reaction to that. And then I'll give mine. So Thomas, take it away. Yeah. So everybody that, that kept up with South Carolina last year, past defense was, was certainly a strength. Number one in the SEC last year, finishing the year there. I do think that this past defense is going to drop off a little, a little bit this year. Um, I still think they're going to be a top three in the SEC pass defense for sure. But the reason that I'm looking at this is we all know that South Carolina's run defense left a lot to be desired last year. Uh, multiple 100-yard rushing games they gave up. Uh, teams would just start to pick on them in the run game, and it, and it showed. So I think South Carolina's run defense is going to be a lot better this year, and so teams are going to have to pass more. So uh, I just look at it this year that I don't want South Carolina fans to get discouraged when they're not number one pass defense in the SEC because I think that run defense is going to be markedly better. JC, agree, disagree? I, I, I'm with you there because I, 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 I think the run defense will be better. And so teams are going to have to – they can't just line up and run it, right? They're going to have to get creative and uh, all that. At the same time, man, I don't know. Uh, besides Tennessee – I don't really see a passing game that's like a locked, solid, scary type of, of, of situation. And if Tennessee didn't go a million – if they had changed the rules this year like they were talking about doing and let, <laughs> let the defense sub after uh, after a first down, Tennessee probably wouldn't have the expectations they do. But, I mean, let, let's look at it. You know, K.J. Jefferson has a lot of guys – uh, at his disposal in his receiving core that were hyped recruits that haven't produced a lot, right? So that could, that's a mixed bag. Maybe they're elite, like we thought. Maybe they're not. Um, you know, and, and he lost Burks and, and his vertical threat. Now he's playing better, but Arkansas is going to still do that tricky thing. And it's, it's the browse system with a good run game and all that. Georgia, they're, they're all over there talking about this three, four tight end offense and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, Stetson Bennett and I thought Todd Monken had a great year calling plays last year, but mm. they had some they had some guys receivers vertically that could get open down the field. Do they have that this year? I don't know. Uh, Charlotte, you know, SC State probably has one of the best passing games on the schedule. Kentucky loses Wondell Robinson, and uh, I don't think you're going to replace that guy. And they're more mm. run oriented anyway. A and M still hasn't named a starting quarterback. Their best receiver suspended. Missouri, I think, will run Brady Cook more than they pass. Uh, Vandy's going to run it with their running quarterback, Mike Wright. You know, Anthony Richards is going to run it. I've mentioned Tennessee. And then I think Clemson's still going to be a run-oriented offense this year, too. So, you know, uh, there's not a lot of scary right now. There's a lot of scary run teams, but a lot of, a lot of scary pass teams on the schedule. So maybe – Maybe they do continue to be number one just because the other guys aren't all that good. But uh, I think it is uh, – I think a lot of the reason Carolina didn't give up a ton through the air last year uh, – and they were good, don't get me wrong. But, you know, like, like in the Clemson game, they didn't 
Uh, DJ threw for what ninety nine yards. Mm, yeah, they, they didn't need they didn't need to throw. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hated that game for that reason. But that's uh, <laughs> you know that's uh, you know teams didn't need to throw it. I, I think they will this year. Um, and and you know and then we'll see how good uh, good they are against what what should be a really good secondary. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Thomas, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of at that. That's the appropriate reaction thought process again. I, you know, I think a lot of it. You you hit it with the Clemson game. It happened in many other games. Teams just didn't have to throw the ball that often against us last season. They were able to run. I'm not saying we just got absolutely Swiss cheese mashed, which we've had happen before, but there was, if you needed six, seven yards, you were able to get it a lot of times. Now it's shored up as the year went on, but it was, it was not great. Um, so when you can run the ball, why pass it? And so, you know, that's just my thought process as even as an offensive guy, you know? Um, but I do think SER South Carolina's secondary could technically be as good or right on that same par as last year. Talent wise, or maybe even better, but not have the statistics because people are going to have to throw it more, and that gives more opportunity for more yards. Yes, thank you for that perfect segue into my second point here because there has been a lot of questions about, at at a minimum, at the depth in the secondary for South Carolina's defense. My second take here is Devonnie Reed, Central Michigan MAC transfer, is going to have a huge year anchoring that back end. I think Devontae Reed is exactly what we need back there. He's really solid in run support. I think they're going to roll him down into the box a lot. He's solid in coverage as well. I just think that with a lot of the questions in the secondary back there, I think Devontae Reed is exactly what South Carolina South Carolina needs back there with Cam Smith, Dial, and Rush, and all the other guys. JC, where are you at on Devontae Reed? Love Devontae Reed. Uh, you listen to him talk. I mean, he's just a ball player. Um, interesting because we, we talk all the time about the, the recruiting, gosh, the recruiting footprint expanding. I mean, this is a kid from Detroit, Michigan, you know, the, the mean streets, right? Uh, <laughs> ended up at, at Central Michigan uh, playing for the Swamp Donkey, and uh, he had his best <laughs> games against uh, uh, last year uh, against LSU, and uh, I guess whoever they play. They ended up getting into the Sun Bowl. It was interesting. Central Michigan went to like they were invited to that bowl in Phoenix, and then uh, a team pulled out of the Sun Bowl. So they ended up packing up and saying, "We're going to the Sun Bowl," you know, uh, and, they, and they won. And he had a really good, uh, a really good game in that one too. Um, he's a good, good, you know, pe- people. Uh, the concern when Jalen Foster left, uh, you know, and I know Jalen had his interceptions and all that, but. He was really good at run fits and, and and was one of the guys on the team that was good at stopping the run. Devontae's just as good. I think he's got just as good a instincts back there. And then R.J. Roderick's allegedly playing his best ball. And then Nick Emanuare, the true freshman, is going to be a freak. So, um, yeah, I'm with you, though. Uh, of all the transfers, Reed is probably one, you know, that hadn't been talked about a lot. But, uh, you know, this is a guy that, that had – uh, offers from Texas, uh, offers from Florida, uh, offers from, you know, just about everybody in the country and South Carolina got him kind of like juice. Wells. so, um, big recruiting win and, um, he's locked in to come play in the sec. And, uh, I, I, I think he's one you got to keep healthy too, uh, because I think that highly of him. So spot on on that. 
You know, uh, I, I'll answer this question by saying I, I, I believe so. And good Lord, do I hope so. Uh, <laughs> our, our, our safety position at times has, has been extremely frustrating. You know, again, I'm an offensive guy. I'm an, an old coach and player on offense. On defense, man, if you're a safety, you best be able to tackle. And, and it drives – nothing drives me more crazy watching a team I'm pulling for, if it's South Carolina, if it's Philadelphia Eagles, and your safety, your back end at making tackles. Like, they're missing tackles. That drives me insane. That is your number one attribute back there. So, I, you know, my answer to your question is I, I believe you're right, but I certainly hope you're right because run fits in particular, but also passing game. You know, it, we didn't see it last year as much, but there were times under Muschamp and even sometimes under Ellis Johnson because Coach Johnson, as great as he was, was super complex in the secondary. We'd have guys running around checking, you know, not knowing where to go, and all of a sudden there's a wide-open window. We didn't see that as much last year. There were some tackle issues that that bugged me. So I'm hoping he's back there, and I hope he's he, he's going to be a good tackler for us. Yeah. yeah I, and you, I, I, go, go ahead, Jesse. Oh no, I was just going to say, yeah. He, I, based on what he did at, at, at CMU, I, uh, you know what, tackling is probably not going to be a problem. I would think, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, but maybe not. So, so I'm with you though. I, 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 I totally agree with. Uh, the tackling back there, and really the play back there in general, man. I mean, I, I, I'm hopeful next off season will be the uh, an off season where we don't have to talk about safety depth <laughs> again. It's, 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 it's been a decade, man. So I'm like, ah. So, uh, but anyway, that's uh, that's a good take there. Yeah, and and so you talk about run fits. I, I am really really excited. Uh, I miss some of the days from you know, gosh, it's been roughly a decade ago with with some dominant defensive lines at South Carolina, I'm looking at Birch and Pickens and, and I'm looking at those guys to have some big, big play this year, combining for 80 plus tackles, combining for at least eight sacks. We talked about it a little bit last week, you know, Pickens, Pickens is in a position where he can make himself a lot of money this year. And I think we all agreed earlier that this run defense is going to be a heck of a lot better this year and that run defense is only going to be a heck of a lot better behind some big boys in the middle like these guys and on the edge. So I'm looking for huge seasons out of Birch and Pickens. Where are you at on that, JC? Yeah, you know, Birch, uh, I'd, I'd be lying if if I said, oh, the lights come on big time. He's been dominating, uh, you know, because he's been a little banged up. Um, and, and this is another – uh, kid that uh, you know, not last year so much, but you know, the first year uh, he missed weeks and weeks with COVID, and really didn't have a freshman year. Right? Uh, thought he flashed last year, was behind Enigbare, obviously. Uh, you know, I I would have liked for him to have had a great, great fall camp, right? And and whoa, the lights come on. But you know when you when you injured and you're you're missing practice and you're rehabbing and stuff, it, it doesn't always happen. Um, you know, so with, with him, I, I'm taking kind of a cautious approach. I, th- I think Zach Pickens, though, if you kind of look at Zach Pickens' performance last year, uh, he was inconsistent and and that. But but the games he, you know, I don't want to say showed up, but the games he played at a high level uh, were outstanding. I mean. Uh, Zeb Nolan and Xavier Leggett won the Vandy game, but Zach Pickens also won the Vandy game. Uh, Zach Pickens with one arm tackles their running back who's about to walk in the end zone the first quarter. Uh, and then they stopped Vandy down there uh, inside the five. 
Pickens made some plays on that too to hold him to the field goal to keep it at six. Um, you know, I thought he played well against North Carolina. I, I thought you saw some things with him and Jordan Strong. Um, the, the, and look, I, I want to say this. I love Jabari Ellis. Uh, I think Jabari Ellis uh, played his butt off for Carolina for two years. Uh, hope he makes an NFL roster. But I'm going to be very frank and tell you that Boogie Huntley is an upgrade at that other tackle spot. Um, just the strength. And uh, Jabari is a little undersized, right? Uh, but the, the strength. I mean, Boogie Huntley is big as a house. And, and he's got <laughs> – Natural strength. He was a lacrosse player at Hammond, so he's got really good feet. And if you watch him as the season went on last year, guys, uh, he really started to flash. You know, when he would get in the games, he would get break in the backfield, make a play, um, did some things maybe Jabari didn't always do. And so I uh, – on a consistent basis. So uh, I'm pretty fired up about him, uh, you know, on the interior with Pickens and then behind those guys – Guys like Nick Barrett, TJ Sanders, Taka Hemingway, MJ Webb rolling in and out. Uh, those are all really good. I think they'll be really good players at defensive tackle this year. And, you know, then you got linebackers behind them. But uh, if you're asking about the, the two five stars, Pickens and Birch, I'm, I, I'm, I think this is going to be a really, really good year for Pickens. Um, I'll have to wait and see on Birch just because he's missed time, but you, you certainly hope so. Well, and I mean, I think you're on on the nose there. I think Pickens has flashed and, and shown good consistency at times. Birch, obviously, you mentioned some some things that held him back. I'm super excited for Boogie. Um, I just seems hungry. You talked about plays he made, but he seems hungry, and it seemed he strikes me as a guy from just watching body language that there when he got out there and he made plays, he was like, "Yeah, put me back in here. I can do this." Give me this chance, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make you remember that I'm that good. And and I you know, obviously I've read good things about him uh, this spring and or summer, I should say. And you know, not to use a an overused saying by uh, Coach Muschamp, we talked about him earlier, but they got to be they got to be willing to stick their face in the fan and like it. We got to be a little <laughs> bit we got to be a little bit more consistent on that DL because as an offensive line. As an offensive line, I can tell you, and as an offensive coach, the number one thing that's going to cause disruption is penetration. You start getting guys breaking through, you got problems. It doesn't matter what you're running. Pass, run, zone, gap. If we're breaking through the line and breaking down and we're where we can make tackles, you're in trouble, especially if it's the front four. So I think that's huge. I, I think I want to see Birch do great things. I do. Uh, I think he's immensely talented. So maybe they'll, you know, maybe like you said, JC, these injuries might have prevented that quote unquote light from coming on so far. But maybe, you know, week two, week three, it comes clicking on and we, we're making things happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think guys like Tyreek Johnson, Gilbert Edmund, Terrell Dawkins, you know, the, the, those guys need to play this year and, and kind of hold the line a little bit and rotate in because. Obviously, they're going to be important for the future, you know, moving forward. But, uh, you know, the hope is Jordan Birch goes out there and, you know, we're all sitting there by the Georgia game going, well, who cares if he missed practice? The kid's really good, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, that, that's absolutely. the hope. That's the hope. Yeah, absolutely. So, as we're getting ready to wrap up, just as we're going out the door, so to speak here, let's take a look around college football real brief, you know, and we'll all just kind of go around the circle here outside of South Carolina. Who's a team you're super interested to watch play this season, JC? Who's a team that you're just real interested in seeing? 
everybody in the SEC besides Alabama from Vanderbilt. <laughs> no, um, it's that is it looks like that kind of year. Um, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm kind of intrigued to see what LSU does because it, it's not like you know there aren't ball players down there, and it's not like Brian Kelly hasn't won a bunch of games. I mean, here's a guy that won it. I mean, you were a coach. Uh, you know, sometimes being a coach is where you're at, right? Uh, Landrum and, and, and our hometown is a different football job than Spartan High or Burns or Norman. Uh, or, and Broome is a different job than Chesney, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, a lot of times it's where you're at. Now, well, here's a guy that won national championships at Grand Valley State. He won at Central Michigan. He won at Cincinnati. All-time leading winner, uh, wins leader in Notre Dame history. And think about the history of that program. Newt Rockney. He's bet one more than Newt Rockney, Lou Holtz, Eric Parsegian, Dan Devine, uh, you name it. Uh, he won, you know, a lot. And uh, so he's a good coach. And, 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 you know, you combine him with LSU's talent, uh, and you have to kind of think, well, you know, man, they, they may win more games than we think. I think a lot of people just kind of uh, have their darlings in that middle part of the SEC. Uh, there's a lot of people really high on Arkansas and, Looking at their personnel on offense, rightfully so. Um, I know that everybody's excited out there, but, you know, I look at Arkansas, their over-under win total for Vegas is seven. That's the line. Uh, and here's the thing. They're in the SEC West, guys. That's first and foremost. Second, their non-conference is three of their four games is Cincinnati at BYU, two Big 12 mm. teams, basically. Uh, and then the, the Liberty Flames, and I don't know what Hugh Freeze is still there, right? Uh, yeah, so yeah. Play Liberty too. And so, um, you know, you kind of look at it, and uh, and uh, that's not an easy. It's a non-conference. It's the, the, I think they should win. You know, the majority of those games. BYU may be tough, but it doesn't give you a break. And, and you know, it's very physical in this league, and and you, you're getting beat up week after week after week. Um, sometimes you need to go play that Charleston Southern, you know, <laughs> and, and, and kind of and have an open day and get well. So I'm concerned about that with them. You know, Mississippi State has a lot of players back on defense, and that offense is going to be good. They're always intriguing because of a big Mike Leach guy. Um, and, and, you know, the whole middle of the league. Uh, it, outside of the SEC, uh, Texas and Clemson, uh, to me, uh, are the two that, you know, I kind of because you kind of look at Texas's personnel and you're like, how in the world did this team go five and seven last year? But it's been the same story in Austin over and over. If they don't turn it around and start playing tougher when they come into the SEC, you're going to see two years of bloodletting before that program. <laughs> before they are four, they're going to get hit in the nose so much that it, I mean, it, it, it won't be the Big Twelve where they can just go out there and piddle around and play seven on seven and win a fifty-five forty-nine game. Right. Uh, they're coming in the SEC and, and you'll see it against Bama in week two. Uh, they'll probably get bludgeoned. And that's the future of Longhorn football if they don't get tougher. So that's my question there. I, I love Sarkeesian as an offensive guy. I think he's a great play caller. Is he the guy that's going to make Texas tough? I don't know. Um, and so Texas that and then Clemson, you know, my Clemson buddies and I do have some some connections up there. They think their defense is going to be elite. Uh they tell me DJ's improved, and, and that's probably a good thing. Uh, but they think that they're going to go as far as their their offense can take them. If they have an offensive situation like at the beginning of last year, you know, uh, 
you may see them, you know, go 10 and three or whatever again. Uh, if not, you know, they could be another playoff team. And, you know, their schedule is, as we always say about Clemson's schedule, it's it's not – it's sort of backloaded because you, you look in November, they have Notre Dame, Miami, I think it's Notre Dame, Miami, Louisville, Carolina, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they uh, – you know, they, they do have a challenging deal toward the end, but I think that gives them time uh, to kind of get uh, their offense moving. You know, they don't the, – the biggest game – I mean, they play at Wake, but that's that's one thing Dabo's done. It's the first thing he did was reverse the Wake trend. He hasn't lost to them at all. Uh, then the NC State's going to be a huge game. Um, but then, you, you know, Boston College, Syracuse, whatever – uh, but then the bye week happens. They're going to South Bend first week in November. They play Louisville at home. Louisville should be improved and gave them all they wanted last year. Miami comes in and then the Gamecocks. So November's not going to be easy for Clemson. Um, and uh, I think that works out well for them to get the kinks out of their offense if there are kinks. But that's, you know, the, the two schools in orange uh, are, are the most intriguing to me for, for a lot of different reasons. Thomas? Yeah, and I think uh, it's interesting you talk about Clemson because I think, uh, for me, the, the jury is still out on DJ, what, whether or not he can bounce back, and then you've got Klubnik behind him and, you know, freshman and whatnot. But I really think with the talent that Clemson has on defense this year, I think they could roll through the ACC, win the ACC based on defense alone, regardless of what DJ does. I think the real X factor for Clemson as as deep and as talented as their defense is this year, is their new DC. And and let's be honest, love him or hate him, Brent Venables could dial it up. And he was a really good in-game coach. And I just don't know if they're going to have that. And so I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with that defense, as talented and as deep as it is, with the guys that they have coming back, like Brzee and all of those guys. I'm just – I think that defense could take them a long way. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you know, Godwin's been around the program for a while. It's not like – you know, I mean, he, he looks like a novice when, when you kind of look at a picture of him. You know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but he's, you know, he kind of looks like that dude from the blacklist that works at the post office. Uh, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, and, but, but he, you know, everybody you talk to inside and outside of Clemson thinks this guy's like a guru. Uh, but there's a difference between kind of knowing it on the chalkboard and, and all that and then being able to call it. And Brent was really good. Uh, as we've all found out over the years at calling it. But even he wasn't all that good when he didn't have players. I mean, you remember Spurrier got the best of Brent Venables oh, yeah. multiple times at the beginning, but then he got players. And it was a different story. So uh, they've got players. And um, that's going to be sort of the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, 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 you know, the foundation of what they do this year. But, uh, you know, heck, they were really good on defense. I thought for the most part last year, even with the injuries and, you know, their offense sort of held them back as far as like where they wanted to be as a team. So we'll see sort of what happens uh, with them this year. I'm a little intrigued by Virginia just because of Tony Elliott and uh, the offensive guru uh, label that he's got. And uh, Dez Kitchings, who is, it, is, a, is a good guy and a friend of mine, uh, is their OC uh, up there at Virginia. So uh, curious to see how Tony does at Virginia as well. Yeah, so – my team that I'm interested in, and it's not necessary. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's bad reasons per se. I, I want to see what happens out in Southern Cal. 
I want to see what happens with 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 him out there. Uh, that a lot of those kids from Oklahoma went with him. You know, they gave they literally backed up the truck. You know, he's got you know the lake house, like just all of this stuff. And is Lincoln Riley now? Let's be honest. Let me finish that thought first. Is he as good as as he's been advertised to be? Now he's put up a lot of great numbers over the years. He, you know, had some Heisman Trophy winners. He's done this. He's done that. I don't think he managed the situation in, in Norman last year very well. Uh, I think he had one foot in Southern California pretty early on. I think that hurt Spencer. I think that hurt the team. But I'm not going to get into that necessarily. But it's not Madden football. It's not EA Sports NCAA football, as great as those games are. You don't just build a roster and because you're the most talented, you go win. You got to lead guys, you know, JC, you kind of hit on it. You can draw it on the chalkboard and you can be a genius, but when, when it's game time management and so much of being a head football coach is not always calling plays, you know, you have Steve Spurrier and you have Lincoln Riley, that they do that. Mike Leach, you mentioned him. He does that, but it's team management too. It's locker room management. It's culture management. You know, Thomas, you've mentioned this on the show before. Will Muschamp, I think is a brilliant defensive coordinator and a brilliant mind. I don't know that that translated, and it obviously didn't for Florida or us, as a head coach. So I'm not saying, obviously, he's Lincoln Riley's done a lot of good things already in his very young career. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how that translates. And, you know, you have Utah out there. That's that's a, a, a very good team. You have Oregon out there. That's a very good team. And it's just going to be interesting to see what happens there. That's what interests me is, you know, how good are we going to be? It's a uh, is a caged animal hire. Uh, everybody, you know, I call a caged a caged animal hire to me is like a great program that's tired of hiring the Clay Heltons of the world or, or whoever. <laughs> you know, uh, Notre Dame did it with Holtz, right? And back in the eighties, and and Saban, Alabama did it with Saban. Um, you know, they just get sick of losing. And uh, you know, Miami, uh, Southern Cal, uh, they they made caged animal hires. LSU. You know, um, I, you know, to a certain extent, it, I'm not sold on Lincoln Riley doing much at, at SC, uh, and 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 I'll tell you why. I I, I think that culture is important. Uh, I think that when you look at the culture at Oklahoma, uh, it's gotten better since Brent Venables has gotten there. Uh, that's telling. Um, I think Lincoln Riley is a tremendous offensive coach. I think they'll score points. Um, their defense was god awful last year. Uh, I think it's going to be god awful this year. <laughs> uh, and and I think that there's not going to be a lot of patience with a guy that makes the money he makes and got the deal he got. Uh, and then on top of that, they have to trans transition into the Big Ten. Uh, so, whereas SC, you know, they're used to rolling up to Corvallis, Oregon in front of 30,000 screaming beavers and rolling, you know, <laughs> now they got to go to Wisconsin and get hit in the mouth over and over and over again. Now they got to go to Penn State. Now they got to go to Michigan <laughs> freaking state where they're burning couches when you when you drive in. Uh, it's a different world in the Big Ten, man. And uh that's going to take some adjustment. And there's a, like, and this is my final thought on Lincoln. There is a reason that he left Oklahoma. Um, 
And if you notice, there was some news that broke right before last season. Uh, Oklahoma's going to the SEC. Uh, and I just think straight up he didn't want any. And, uh, and now he's got the Big Ten. <laughs> yeah, because his style of play, uh, you know, you need to have uh, – and every year you'd hear about, well, you know, Alex Grinch fixed the defense, and the defense is physical now, and Oklahoma's got a good defense. That was never true. Um, and it ended up last year, Oklahoma State had a better defense than Oklahoma. Now, now tell me how that happens, right? <laughs> um, and so I just I, – I don't know that – I mean, it, it sucks, Really, because I I feel like with SC going to the Big Ten, the, the flash of that program, and I, I actually love that program, uh, is probably going to be diminished, and they're going to have to kind of adjust, and, and that's just not Lincoln Riley. So I, I have a lot of questions about it. Um, I think they could very easily take two L's in September at Stanford and at the aforementioned Beaver Palace in, uh, in Corvallis. <laughs> and and here's, here's their big problem this year, guys. In their division – the, the team to beat is Utah, and Utah is the, probably the most physical team in the Pac-12. So, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, and if I am, I'll be happy. Because, like I said, love the Trojans, love that program. I mean, grew up watching uh, Keith Jackson go, Southern California today, you know, and all <laughs> that. But uh, it's, uh, you know, I just don't, you know, I, just, I have a lot of questions about this Lincoln-Riley thing. I, I agree with you. Well, man, JC, we can't say thank you enough for joining us. Uh, it's been a great thing to, to have you on, to have your wealth of knowledge and, and to get involved, to have you on our show is, is awesome for us. We appreciate you taking the time. I know you've had a busy media day, uh, and we appreciate you doing that with us. Oh, yeah, it's been crazy. Got up, uh, went with Gunner on 107.5. Uh, then I had a Tuscaloosa, Alabama segment that got moved from Wednesday to Thursday. And then I was on for some reason in Nashville with Bill King, and he has me on like once a year. Uh, then I did, then I did my show, then I did the Spurs Up show, and then I did you guys. But uh, it was a great way to end it, guys. Lots of respect for the the knowledge you guys bring to the table about the game and uh, your contributions that you do on the Big Spur are always spot on, and uh, certainly can always appreciate people that that take the time to to learn ball and, and know it and. Uh, uh, don't think that that doesn't go unrecognized by me and a lot of others. We appreciate that a lot. Thank you, JC. It's been a lot of fun and looking forward to uh, maybe catching up with you later on the season. Sweet. Go Spartanburg, go Gamecocks. We'll see you. <laughs> That's right. See you, see you next time, everybody. See you guys.